Welcome to the 5 o'clock show. It's time for Common Sense. Now, it's Cats and Cosby with John Katsimatidis and Rita Cosby. Standing for truth, justice, and the American way. Bringing common sense to the world. Now, here's John Katsimatidis and Rita Cosby. Breaking news, WABC. And welcome to Cats and Cosby. Big news today. And joining us, John, in the studio, we have with us Peter Schweitzer. He, of course, is head of the Government Accountability Institute, mega best-selling author, also contributor to Breitbart. And uh, you've got some big news on Joe Biden's phone number. Tell us about it. Well, yeah, it's very interesting. I mean, one of the uh, counter arguments that uh, Democrats have made is, well, how is Joe Biden involved in this? You haven't demonstrated that Joe Biden's involved. Well, if you look at the Hunter Biden laptop, you discover that Hunter Biden had been paying, among other things, Joe Biden's phone bill. He bought him an AT&T cell phone, paid it from 2009 to 2017 when Joe Biden was vice president of the United States. Uh, Then Hunter says, Dad, you need to start paying your own phone bill. Well, we obtained that phone number and we've shared it with individuals. And the uh, oversight committee in Congress is going to subpoena those phone records. And what's important here is this is not a government phone. This is not Joe Biden's private phone that he's paying for himself. It's actually Joe Biden's, uh, sorry, Hunter Biden's business that paid for it. So we know Joe Biden called him, his business partners, Eric Schwering, and other people called him. I think it's going to yield a lot of interesting information as to who Joe Biden was talking to on this phone that was being paid for by his son. And who exactly in Congress has subpoenaed this and have they done it already? It's the House Oversight Committee. And my understanding is they have subpoenaed those records. Wow. So that's James Comer's now, team. On, on, a home, uh, on the House uh, Oversight Committee, uh, Comer was on uh, television the other day and he says they can't find some of their... Uh, uh, whistleblowers. Yeah, the informants. Yes. Yeah. No, it's 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 very troubling that the pattern that we're seeing here, we we hear that um, you, you had these whistleblower complaints filed by people in the IRS that were looking at Hunter Biden's failure to pay taxes. Uh, they issued a whistleblower complaint complaint to Congress. The report is that those those individuals have been removed from the case, which is contrary, I think, to the whistleblower law. You're not allowed to remove somebody from their position just because they follow a whistleblower you, campaign. And you also have an interference with a congressional well, investigation, which is a crime. Well, let's let everybody know who's in the studio mm-hmm. with us. And uh, we also have Alan Dershowitz on the phone with us. And, and he'll uh, talk about this. Uh, we have Judge Richard Weinberg in the studio. And we have uh, Craig Eaton, 10 years GOP uh, chairman of Brooklyn uh, in the studio. And we have Alan Dershowitz on the phone, I believe. Alan, are you there? I am always there on Tuesday. <laughs> it must be Tuesday because you, you miss, know, you I never miss, miss one. Guys the rest of the week, no, it's so important. Yeah. Uh, are you hearing what uh, Peter Schweitzer is saying? I mean, uh, any questions, uh, Alan? I, I mean, the question I have is, we <laughs> we're turning into a country in which we are searching for crimes by everybody on both sides. And, you know, maybe that's a good thing. Uh, Maybe everybody should be subject to the highest possible standard. But what we're getting is, I think, tit for tat. You know, the Republicans went after the Democrats. The Democrats went after the Republicans. You know, I want to see our people go back to doing their business and not, you know, I want to see more lawyers unemployed. Uh, right now, Joe Biden got a great line off at the uh, uh, event for the newspaper people the other night. 
when he said employment is up in this country and I'm not even counting all the lawyers that Donald Trump has had to hire. So, uh, <laughs> you know, it's it's just that everything is now legal, illegal, you know, questionable. But but let's look into this. I mean, let's look into this. I'm not aware that it's a crime to have somebody pay for your phone bill. But, but what happened to the whistleblowers? I mean, yeah, did, so did somebody rub them out? I mean, what, what well, happened? Yeah, and what a coincidence, right, when, uh, of course, Congress is looking for them desperately, John, as you point out. I mean, the timing of this is interesting, Professor Dershowitz. Well, we should always be protecting our whistleblowers if they're genuine whistleblowers. You know, the guy, for example, who leaked the Supreme Court opinion in overruling Roe versus Wade, he was not a genuine whistleblower. He wasn't exposing government corruption. He was being corrupt. He was part of the problem. So we have to distinguish real whistleblowers from and remember, too, in the in the Durham report, there were, quote, whistleblowers. There were people who were claiming that they had information that proved that Trump was cooperating with Russia. It turns out it was false. They, the report turns out to be completely false. So, you know, the difference between real whistleblowers and people who claim the protection of whistleblowers in order to make political points is something that has to be kept very clear. Craig Professor, Eaton. Professor, this is Craig. I mean, but isn't it true that we should know whether these were real whistleblowers or not? I mean, they can't just say uh, the whistleblowers are disappeared. They should tell us they weren't they weren't they weren't good or they weren't truthful. Well, what happened to them? Or because, they got pressure within their agency. Yeah, because it makes it suspect so that now all of a sudden. Well, wait, wait, wait. Yeah. the IRS says they removed yeah, the this, whistleblowers. Yeah, what does that mean? Yeah, well, what this is mean? amazing. This, they basically removed the whole team right. that was investigating the Hunter Biden taxes, right, because Peter Schweitzer? they were doing too good of a job and they're not yeah. doing their we job. We need some transparency. Yeah, yeah, what do you, what well, do you well, make, Peter yeah, Schweitzer? I mean, so what happened in 2018 was the IRS looked into the fact that Hunter Biden had taken in all this foreign income. We exposed it in Secret Empires in 2018. That sort of launched the grand jury, and you had this IRS investigation and they basically concluded that Hunter Biden had taken in millions of dollars from foreign sources, had not paid taxes on it. Uh, you have this friend, this lawyer in Los Angeles that paid two million to the IRS to pay some of the back taxes. But the IRS was looking into charges of tax evasion. They went to congressional committees and complained that they believed there had been political interference from DOJ. Uh, I haven't seen the details, but this was the claim. And now, lo and behold, the IRS says we're going to remove the team from investigating Hunter Biden, who have been on it now for, what, five years. And we're going to start apparently going to have to start the whole thing over. So again. what does that mean to the investigation? What does that oh, mean? I think it's massive. First of all, and Professor Dershowitz can jump in here. I think it's illegal by the whistleblower statute. You cannot remove somebody from their position simply because they made a whistleblower sure. complaint. So who's going to prosecute? I mean, who's going to go? I mean, if the FBI works for the Department of Justice and the Department of Justice says jump and the FBI says how high? Well, it's worse than that. What jump. the hell is going on? It's who's going to enforce the laws of the United worse States? Than that. That's scary. It's worse than that because this group in the IRS was removed at the directive of the Justice Department. Yeah. So that's how bad it really is. Now, doesn't this reek of the word retaliation, of uh, Professor Dershowitz? Well, and remember, too, which can be seen by some people as part of a pattern. The, the former vice president of the United States tells the uh, head of, the, of Ukraine that unless you call off your prosecutor, we're not going to send the money to Ukraine. I mean, if that were if that is true as well, it seems to be part of a pattern of putting pressure on investigators 
uh, whether it be Ukrainian investigators or American investigators, either to investigate more people politically or to stop investigating people politically. But, you know, we're losing our faith in the American criminal justice system. We're seeing so many things. And the, and the Durham report increases that loss of faith. It shows, proves conclusively that a double standard was applied to the investigation of Hillary Clinton, who I voted for and supported and liked and contributed to. But and, and by the way, where do we Biden. stand? Is it going to be, if Biden doesn't run, is it going to be Hillary or is it going to be Michelle Obama? Well, you saw that article. <laughs> but, and, 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 and as a tease, everybody, we have Doug Schoen. Doug Schoen is coming up later in the show to give us the answer, yeah, John. Doug Schoen's article with Andy Stein. One of my best former students, Doug was uh, every, everything, He's a good Doug guy. Done, everything Doug has done well is attributable to him having been in my class. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And I'm a big fan. And I thought his article in the Wall Street Journal, along with Andy Stein, was really, really interesting. But I have a theory. I don't think Michelle Obama will run. And if she does, I think her reputation and her numbers will go down as soon as she gets into the fray. Right now, she's above the fray. There are no negatives. But as soon as she takes a position on anything, her numbers will sink. You mean uh, the you Princeton know, Papers issue would come out? Yeah, by the way, Peter <laughs> no. Schweitzer is saying he's got, you've got the Cheshire grain. You Go ahead. Princeton you know, Papers, well, you know, Peter Schweitzer. Honestly, part of what I'm thinking of is if Michelle Obama runs, does Barack Obama really want to be Doug Emhoff? You know, Kamala Harris. I mean, does he really want to sort of? Go? I mean, I don't think he does. Seems like they have a think... good life right now when you watch yeah, what they do. I, I think they yeah, do. big they money. Want to come back into That's politics. Right. Well, of course, the biggest problem is that you know the Democrats have to do something about Harris, and they can't just drop her. Uh, it will hurt a lot of their base. So they have to come up with if they're going to substitute. They're going to have to come up with somebody who will be supported by their base, particularly the left base. And so I, I noticed Hillary Clinton sent that. out a sent out a, a tweet. I don't see too many tweets from over this morning. She sent out a tweet. Did you did you see it, Peter? No, I didn't see it. What did she say? Uh, she said Peter Schweitzer is going to be in the studio. Oh, no. Didn't he do the book on Clinton Cash? That's what he said. I have to say the Durham report is is kind of taking me down memory lane. And there were a lot of things that were going on. I didn't realize the book came out in 2015. And I read the Durham report. And it's it's my experience is kind of like a duck that looks very calm on the surface. But underneath, it's it's peddling furiously. I got a call from an FBI uh, agent in the New York office in 2015 saying, hey, interesting book. You know, we're going to kind of look around. I had no idea that they ended up having three field offices uh, look yeah. at this. And to Professor Dershowitz's point, you know, in the case of Clinton Cash, my book, yes, it's journalism, as they said, in legal sense, it's hearsay, right? I don't have any direct evidence that I participated or saw anything. But at least in my case, it was information that was public record. It was transfer of money. It was, a, I would argue, a pattern of behavior. It was timing. When it comes to the, the, the Russia collusion thing, it was an anonymous dossier that, that nobody wanted to claim that had no public sourcing. There was, there was allegations, but nothing. And it was yet, a total fabrication. Yes. And that's the yeah. shameful part. That's the part that they, actually, we, that they actually went before the court yeah. and basically lied or that's misrepresented right. and said, this is accurate. Right, Judge? It's oh, absolutely. by the way, it's not, not just a court. It's a court that only hears one side. Right. And therefore, it's doubly important for the government to be accurate because there's no other side to correct them. But, you know, uh, you and I have something in common. Your book uh, uh, 
obviously was validated by the Durham report. So was mine. Get Trump. I mean, the whole (laughs) thesis of get Trump is that there's been a double standard applied. And the Durham report proves that conclusively. There was nothing to support the Russian collusion against Trump. And there was a great deal, according to the report, to support investigating Hillary Clinton about their their agreement to go after Trump, he says, in order to cover up her um, uh, her, her misuse of the computer at home. So this should be the beginning of an investigation. I'm glad that the House is looking into this. I'm glad the House is calling Durham. And I hope this is the beginning, not the end of a quest for truth. And by, Alan, by the way, Alan, also, we have one minute left. Anything you want to tell everybody? <laughs> what I want to tell everybody is we have to get back to a time when law enforcement is objective and neutral, when people like Bob Morgenthau were the head of the uh, uh, U.S. Attorney's yes, Office. and respected by everybody. Yes, yeah. Yeah. And, and apolitical. The U.S. the U.S. Attorney, who is now the head of the Boston office, has just been forced to resign because she was found... <laughs> At a, a fundraising event, which is illegal under the Hatch Act, so much politicizing of criminal justice is occurring. We just have to get back to a time when people have faith in the justice system that we've lost it. Yeah, sad, very sad. By the way, everybody, um, I also want to read this is uh, John. This is the tweet that Hillary Clinton put out. She put, "If MAGA Republicans force a default, she's saying, of course, about uh, the debt ceiling, the catastrophic consequences for our economy." And she lists it over and over. It is interesting. What, what are you, Peter? You're smiling. Is she trying to get in the fray Sounds again? Like a candidate. Sounds I like think, a candidate. Yes, I think she's. I think she's. Uh, she's feeling the waters a little bit. And the thing you have to remember about the Clintons, and they do obviously have, I think, a, an interest in advancing their political. But also their entire uh, business in terms of speaking fees, in terms of raising money for the Clinton Foundation is directly correlated to her political career. Remember when she lost in 2016, within two years, the Clinton Foundation donors were down 75 percent. Wow. So if they, you know, and Bill's speaking fees are way down. So, I mean, if you want to be relevant, this is the way you become relevant. It shows you something that these foundations like the Clinton Foundation, the people who contribute to them contribute to these foundations, not necessarily to do good, but to get access. Yes. They want to piss with the large dwarfs. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love that. That's a great analogy. <laughs> Thank you, Alan. Professor, We're going to take you. a break. And, uh, Alan, we'll talk to you again soon. Let's take that break and we'll be right back. We're going to talk with Nicole Jolinas, by the way, about migrants. This is stunning. Now maybe being in 20 schools attached to the gyms. Is that where you want to put migrants and including in pre-K and elementary? Much more after the break. It's a common sense recap of the big stories. It's Cats and Cosby on 77 WABC. Well, we're going to go local now. With us today is Nicole Galinas of Manhattan Institute. And she just came back from London. And I understand congestion pricing may be a disaster. Nicole, what the heck is going on in London? Hi, John. Good to be on with you. Hi, Rita. Uh, Hi. Hi. You know, one of the main things about congestion pricing in London and congestion pricing as they're proposing in New York is in London, they only charge it during congested hours. So it's there's no charge in the overnight hours. There's there's no charge on the weekend evenings. I mean, this is a fee that they only charge from 7 a.m. to 6 p.m. 
Monday through Friday. So it's a real congestion charge, whereas the plan they're putting together in New York, there would be no free times. Even if you come in at 3 a.m., you would have to pay a fee. Now, the MTA said the fee would be discounted, but it's still a significant fee. So this is really pointing out that it's not so much a congestion charge that they're putting in place here. But more of a tax. I mean, but let me ask you, only, does it work, Nicole, even like in the congestion times there? Uh, it doesn't work in that there are still times of day when traffic is congested. You know, you, you're never going to get a, away from the fact that at peak hours, you know, 8 a.m. to 10 a.m., 4 p.m. to 7 p.m., Traffic backs up on the streets. You see traffic jams on Piccadilly and on other main London roads, just the same as you uh, as, as you see here. So it, that's another issue of what are the expectations? Are people paying the congestion charge to move fast through New York City? Because that's something that even the environmental documents say uh, is is not really likely to happen. And in fact, in some parts of Manhattan, congestion pricing will make the congestion even worse. It's like uh, it is an old Greek Italian expression. <laughs> oh, I'm ra- wait a minute. Is it like the other in, one you had in, in the last in, segment? In New York here, yeah, they want to suck your blood 24 hours a day. <laughs> Versus the UK. They let you sleep a little. But wait a minute. Is that is that is that Italian or is that Greek? Which one is that? A little bit of both. Okay, go ahead. Nicole, you got it. <laughs> Nicole, your reaction. Yeah, no, I mean absolutely. You know, we're this is in London, it was not billed as something that you're going to raise billions and billions of dollars for transit. It only raises the equivalent of four hundred million dollars a year. One of the big issues is that they run their transit system much more efficiently. It costs much less to just run basic transit service. And the trains are much safer. You know, you get on the trains in London. There are no people in mental distress. There are no people using the trains as shelter. You are not allowed to loiter into train stations unless you're going from point A to point B. So part of successfully getting people into transit is not just charging them to drive in their cars, but making the transit environment a pleasant place to be. All right, Judge Weinberg, you got a question for Nicole Jolinas. Nicole, you had a great column talking about the uh, Marine, the Good Samaritan, who interceded to try to protect his fellow citizens on the train. And you pointed out where was the outrage when all the other people were killed and victimized and that everybody should want to have somebody like that Marine on the train to protect because law enforcement is not doing the job. Could you tell us about your article? Right. I certainly think people should be upset and distressed about Jordan Neely's death. This is this is yet another preventable killing on the subway. But where were all of these people when 27 other people were killed on the subway since COVID? If we had taken those killings more seriously, we would have uh, stemmed the disorder that led to Jordan Neely's killing. You know, you, you just a few weeks ago, you had an 18-year-old teenager killed on the train because his friend killed, uh, his friend pulled the emergency brake. Someone got mad about this, confronted them. They got in a fight. The guy said it was self-defense when he killed this teenager. That case got absolutely no attention. And this is just one example, again, other than, you know, poor Michelle Goh pushed in front of the train 
a year and a half ago. And Daniel Enriquez, a Goldman Sachs worker, uh, shot at point blank range going to brunch uh, a, a year ago. Most of these 27 subway killings before Neely got absolutely no attention. If you stop the disorder before someone is killed, you would have saved uh, Neely's life. You know, the, the behavior that he was engaged in caused people to have a reaction. And you see this every single day on the subway. doesn't mean that the killing will end up being determined justified by a jury. You know, I'm not going to do the jury's job for them. But that uh, the behavior of threatening people and menacing people on the subway, the more of that you have, inevitably people are going to react to that behavior. Yeah, Nicole, why don't you stay on? Because we also have Melissa DeRosa coming on. Do you know Melissa? Yes, I do. And I'm happy to stay on, except for I do have a phone call at 530. Okay, uh, so you know, well, we're going to break at 530 anyway, or 531. Uh, Melissa, <laughs> tell us uh, uh, what the heck is going on in uh, Albany and what's going on in the state. By the way, I just noticed, I got a uh, text from Tom DiNapoli the other day that sales tax revenues for the month of April were down like 39%. That's stunning. Is that possible? Unfortunately, it is possible, John. And I think in terms of what's going on in Albany, the big news today was a Siena College poll that came out that showed that Hochul is underwater in favorability uh, for her first time in office. And I, I looked at that poll today, and I'm frankly not surprised. And I think it's a reflection of sort of the lack of leadership that she's demonstrated since she took over in office a year and a half ago. And while people look like they are supportive of a number of the, the measures in the budget, they believe that she, you know, it's 50-50 on whether or not she's an effective leader. It's 50-50 on whether or not she can competently do the job. And for a Democrat to be underwater 40 to 45 on favorability four and a half months into your first term is a very, very bad sign. So, you know, I think that Hochul continues to get weaker in Albany, which means that you're going to continue to see a more emboldened legislature on a number of issues, including those that I think are, are driving people out of the state. Yeah, I was about to say, what do you attribute the big break out of the state? I mean, that is a huge number. And you just talked about, Melissa, crime. Um, you know, I'm thinking about taxes, uh, quality of life. Obviously, lots of stories about the migrants now moving into basically the gyms of elementary schools. I mean, it's like, is there anything else? Well, look, I think that the issue was, and we talked about it on this show in the fall, and I said then, you know, that people respond to leadership, they respond to a lack of leadership. And I had attributed at the time her slipping poll numbers to Lee Zeldin to not stepping up to the plate on subway crime. And I think you're seeing that again on the migrant crisis. You know, she has sort of played duck and cover. And this has been going on since August of last year. Eric Adams has been screaming from the rooftops asking for help. And Kathy, you know, see no, hear no evil, see no evil, Hochul has been nowhere to be found. And so, you know, the budget was late. She didn't get the judge. She gave away the pay raise for free. She botched the Western New York storm, which cost over 40 lives. And now here you are with this migrant crisis. And people aren't stupid. New Yorkers are a lot of things. We're not stupid. And you can tell when there's no one at the helm. And she's not at the helm. Greg well, Eaton's got a question for you. Go ahead, Melissa, Greg. I was going to bring up the bail reform, the chief judge. I mean, she has no leadership. And, and I think that even the Democrats in the city and state are recognizing that, that she's getting, you know, railroaded by the state Senate and the state assembly, and they want change. It's too bad well, we have to wait how many more what's years? In, what's interesting is I look at those poll numbers, and the, the, the numbers with the Republicans are abysmal. The numbers with the Democrats are okay. Yeah. 
But where she's really losing is the independence. She's severely underwater. And then you even look at African-American voters who traditionally support Democrats 70, 80 percent are only with her at 54 percent. So, you know, I think working class people, I think that everyday people who just want to live in peace and thrive and be able to afford housing and live a nice life and not worry about getting on the subway and crime are struggling and they don't feel like there's someone that they have confidence in to sort of guide the state during this time. And yeah, so that's, key. It, and that's the, key. And the biggest issue is, you know, the larger issue is the legislature is going to see those numbers. They're going to say she's even weaker. We're going to seize more power. We've done it all along. We can double down now. And I think that going into the end of session where they've got even more power because she's sort of just a signer or vetoer, you could see some dangerous bills get through in Albany that could make yep. you know, the outward migration even worse. Um, oops, we just lost Nicole Jolinas. But uh, a final thought, Melissa, too, of where this is headed. Can she turn it around and can New York turn around more importantly? You know, look, I unfortunately for Kathy Hochul, you never get a second chance to make a first impression. And I think that after Governor Cuomo left office, she had a year of really goodwill. The press gave her a pass. No one gave her a hard time on anything. There was a lot of pay to play. They looked the other way on the Buffalo Bills Stadium out, you know, out of control spending. And then she gets reelected five and a half points over Lee Zeldin, MAGA Republican. And everyone's like, let's see what you can do. And since that time, she has underwhelmed across the board. And I think that the migrant crisis bubbling to the surface has just sort of put that on steroids. And so I don't I don't think she can come back from this. I think that people have sort of decided who she is so early on in her tenure. I don't know how she turns it around. I agree. I agree with you. Well, Melissa, thank you very thank much. You By so the way, much. I'm going to have your old boss on my show one of these days this week, Melissa. So everybody maybe has to tune in. Later, you never so know. Maybe sooner than later. So you <laughs> well, got to tune be sure in. To listen. All right. Thank you right. very Thanks, much, guys. Melissa. Thank you. Thank you, Melissa. And everybody stay tuned. We're going to be talking about the migrants moving in to the gyms of elementary schools. Uh, and also, we've got Nikki Haley is going to be joining us, John, in the studio. How great is that? She's going to be here coming up and later on. And the former chief of staff of the, the mayor, Frank Carone. What the heck is going on in our city? You're commuting home with Katz and Cosby. Now, here's John Katz and and Rita Cosby on 77 WABC. Well, we are back here on Cats and Cosby. And uh, real quick, before we go to Frank Carone, you've got an update, Craig Eaton, yeah, because the schools in Brooklyn are the ones where the gyms are, where the migrants are going to. 20 schools in the city of New York, seven in Brooklyn. And I spoke to some principals and some teachers today, and they're, they're kind of outraged because you have these migrants that haven't been tested. We don't know if they're terrorists. We don't know if they're sick. We don't know if they have COVID. We don't know if they're don't drug know dealers. We don't them. know if they're uh, out and, of jails in Venezuela. And they're, and they're one Child wall abuses. away. They're one wall away from grammar school kids, first to eighth grade, pre-K and kindergarten. So the parents are outraged. The teachers are outraged. The principals are outraged. And who's going to supervise them? Craig, who's going to supervise them there? There's got to be a better plan. There's got to be a better system. But before we go, I just want to mention, I want to give a plug tonight for one of our colleagues here on the on the radio show, Peter King, is going to be in Brooklyn at the South Brooklyn Republican Club with me at 3051 Nostrand Avenue to be supporting Ina Vernikov, a young city councilwoman who's amazing. Ukrainian and, and descent. Truly, Ukrainian descent and, fu- and really the future of the Republican Party here in the city and state and nationally. Now, the the so, other question I want to ask Frank Carone 
We have 51 city council seats coming up in yep. November. Yep. How many common sense people? I don't care if they're Democrats or Republicans, but we need common sense. Well, let's let's, let's yes, bring in Frank. We got him here on the line here, joining us here on Cats and Cosby. Of course, he is the former chief of staff to then Mayor Eric Adams. He is now an attorney. And uh, let me let me get your thoughts, Frank, about that. Uh, how many common sense folks who just care about the city, want to fight crime, don't care if it's Republican or Democrat, but really have the city's uh, first and foremost, the values that we all care about? Well, well, first of all, thank you for having me again, everyone. It's a pleasure to always be on the show and, and to address the audience. And, and before I answer, I just, uh, I, before I, so I don't forget, uh, Greg, just please say hello to Council Member Vernikoff. She's, uh, although a different party, of course, than mine, and the one that I've uh, advocated for for many years, she's an incredible public servant. I know she cares deeply about uh, the issues uh, in Ukraine and uh, anti-Semitism, and her district is uh, happy, really lucky to have her. I know she's an incredible, dedicated public servant. I, 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 will, well. I will pass on your regards. In fact, she, she spoke at a public school. She did it like a town hall, and it was in your brother's wife's public school in Brooklyn. And Pete King and I were there as well. And, uh, that was, sounds like an Italian. Oh, your brother's wife. Brother's wife. Italian Irish. Yeah, either Irish, Greek, one of those. It's right. It's got to fit. Well, I, I think this is apropos for the topic. We're all immigrants, at, at, after all, and we all gone through this uh, this incredible uh, journey to America. I, you know, my grandparents. Uh, I know John, your family did, and then and, and I'm sure Greg and everyone else's. So we we have to just keep that mindful all the time when we when we you know. Take, when we think about this crisis we're in. But for the question on how many common sense Democrats, I, I obviously don't have the answer to that. I hope I hope many. I uh, hope Eric Adams type Democrats. I hope uh, Bill Clinton type Democrats, those who represent the, the party. Uh, I listen to all sides. I don't really are not, uh, you know, really inflammatory on, on one position or another, but just listen, educate themselves and, and just be respectful. I recall uh, listening to Congressman and Lita Jeffries, uh, when he had the uh, Iran um, nuclear pact, and listened to uh, Temple uh, express their uh, outrage and disappointment and disagreement. Yet he was respectful. He listened, and they and they all and all in that audience came away thinking I was heard, I was listened to, um, I received empathy. Whether I agree or disagree, it was a respectful dialogue. And those are the kind of elected officials we hope uh, run for office. Absolutely. And Frank, this is Rita Cosby. I'm so thrilled that you're with us. You know, um, the mayor this morning, I was watching him on television and he was asked, where is President Biden? And he said, I don't know. Um, I mean, he's been speaking and saying we need federal funds in New York City. Um, and he's been leading the charge on that, which, I, you know, is is courageous as a Democrat sitting there saying it um, with him asking the uh, the president. Um, what do you make, though, about the issue now with all these schools, too? Because a lot of parents are concerned, especially as Craig was just talking about in Brooklyn. I mean, putting them uh, in gyms that are attached to schools and with young school kids, a lot of parents are upset. You know, I, I say this very often. The mayor ran to, 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 to effectuate change in New York City. He's an incredible, incredibly humble public servant. He served as a police officer. He, he says it often wearing a bulletproof vest for 22 years and has dedicated his life. Uh, to serve. And he's here uh, and, he, and sitting in the office and the, the great responsibility on the shoulders of New York City, which he he's he privileged to do. And he, and he thanks the, those, those who elected him every day. But he understands that means he has to sometimes uh, you know, disagree with his friends and colleagues. And, and that's his job. And he would expect the same to him. He doesn't want people around him to uh, only tell him uh, yes 
and don't challenge him. So, yes, he's obligated and, and correct in challenging uh, the president and president's policies and saying, you know, New York City needs help. And we are, we're handling it. The problem is, I, I think we're, New York and the administration has been the victim of its own success, the way it's handled this crisis, this United States crisis, by the way. And it's one that's probably gone full circle many times through generation after generation. Different pockets of the world come to pursuit, rightfully so, of the incredible American dream that's been so wonderful for all of us and our families. So he's right to criticize the president. He'd expect, he'd expect his colleagues to criticize him if they disagree with him. It's entirely appropriate to do so. Wow. And uh, so, where do, Frank, where do we go from here? Uh, on the on the bail law in Albany, are we going to be? Are New Yorkers going to be okay? Yeah, I believe so, John. There's more work to do. I I think the the legislature did not go far enough, and I and I've said this I think on the show, but uh, in the past, really the, the changes that are I think most important are changes to discovery rules that give the district attorneys and the judges and the courts tools to not only properly safeguard the rights of the accused but also to uh, prosecute cases in a timely, effect- effective manner, consistent with the right to speedy trial. And I'd like to see more activity there. Look, bail is one thing, but adjudications is much more important. If we had quick trials, definitive trials, and there was certainty, you would see a, a, a bigger change in crime faster. We're making right strides, but more needs to be done. And, and of course, secondarily, the mayor is advocated for and our, the team and I'm saying our, but I'm not there anymore. I still feel like family, and I'm so proud of the work of everyone in the administration they're doing. But they fought hard for the Supportive Intervention Act. And that, what that does is it clarified the legal – it would do it clarified the legal standard for involuntary hospitalization of those uh, suffering mental illness who are unable to care for themselves or are danger to themselves or others. We know, and the mayor knows, that is the biggest crisis right now. And I think it's more important than anything else in Albany is dealing with this mental – illness epidemic, both in the streets, both on the subways and everywhere else. And the mayor has it has a team dedicated to it. Unfortunately, it's not passed the uh, legislature yet. Session's not over. We hope, we're hopeful it does. And uh, we believe that together with discovery would have had, will have a real impact on, on safety. Frank Carone, uh, we're, we're, we're renting all these big hotels over to put these migrants in. Why don't we take the, 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 Take the uh, jail doors off. You could send 30,000 of them to Rikers Island. Take the jail doors off. Unless we promise them a Rose Garden. Hello? We had a little bit of transit in the background there. <laughs> unless we promise the migrants, unless we promise the migrants a Rose Garden, we don't have to give them $700 day rooms at hotels. Take the jail doors off. At Rikers Island, you can give them brand new beds and house 30,000 of them there. You know, John, I think I heard you say before I came on, uh, there has to be better ideas. And, of course, there, 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 there will be and there can be. But right at here. the moment, we're in a crisis. And what do you do in a Send crisis? Send them to Rikers Island, out. Frank. Well, I don't know if that's Why the not? Take the, the, take, the, take the jail doors off and give them a beautiful bed. Uh, and summertime, let them walk around the island, and we're not putting any alligators around the island, and and just and save the taxpayers ten million dollars a week, and save all the parents, all the uh, you know the 
Yeah, and, and save the, the schools. That they're going save the schools. Yeah. You know, you, why why send them into the gyms of the schools? Send them unless we unless uh, somebody promised them a rose garden. And what do you do if Where's you have the song? F- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, song yeah, yeah, yeah. that was a good song, <laughs> by the way. And what and what happens the first time there's a rape? I never promised a rape you a rose garden. garden. Da, 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 da. Oh, sunshine. Oh, yeah, there you go. Peter Schweitzer, do you know the rest? Don't quit. I don't. I don't. don't quit your day jobs, okay? All right. Were you talking to me or John? Or I think both of you. Well, thank you. Smart well, man. Frank, if you want to stay on, you're welcome to stay on. We got Doug Schoen coming on, and he wrote a, a beautiful uh, uh, piece in the Wall Street Journal, whether it's going to be uh, Biden or Michelle Obama. Or Hillary Clinton. Or Hillary Clinton. Or Hillary you know, Clinton. You know uh, Doug Doug Schoen used to represent her. Yeah, Doug. So where do you think this is going to go, Doug Schoen? Well, look, I think, as I said in my article, that the most likely outcome is that Biden himself does run for re-election. But given his age and his political standing, I think it would be irresponsible not to consider alternatives. So while I think Biden's the likely um, nominee, if not him, then I think they're going to try to turn to... um, uh, Kamala Harris, but she's obviously even less popular than Biden. So the pressure on Hillary and the pressure on Michelle Obama will be very strong. So it's anyone's guess. Doug, this is Craig Eaton. Uh, I, I chaired the GOP in Brooklyn for 10 years. I would love Kamala Harris to be the presidential candidate for the Democratic <laughs> Party. I think that would be great. I think we should all push for that. But, you know, John, John, about six we months. You've got to worry about the John, country, uh, Craig. <laughs> no, but we can beat her. That's what I'm saying. Well, well, she's, worry easy, about the country. she's easier for us to beat, John. But, you know, nine you months ago. Your, hey, if you lose, the, we lose the world. I call her a cackle. How could we lose? But John, cackles. about nine months ago, John, about nine months ago, called it. He said, there's going to be a rematch. It's going to be Hillary Clinton versus Donald Trump. John called it here. So. Well, and, and, and by the way, Michelle Obama, yeah. I think, is a is a strong force in the Democratic Party. Mm-hmm. I, Doug, where are you? <laughs> Sorry, I'm in, I'm in a place with some other people. <laughs> <laughs> we thought you might have been in the bathroom for a moment. Yeah. No, no, not in that. I wouldn't do that. Well, I'm, I'm wondering, I'm wondering if the white knight for the Democrats isn't the governor of California, Gavin Newsom. And real quick, Doug, we have just a few seconds left, Doug. Real quick, Doug. It could be, but he needs enough time to build a campaign. And if Joe Biden pulls out late in the process, it'll be tough for Gavin or any other uh, governor to uh, make an inroad. All right, Doug Schoen, thank you very much. Everybody stay with us on Cats and Cosby. Nikki Haley coming up after the break. Common Sense Recap of the Day's Biggest Stories. It's John Katsimatidis and Rita Cosby. Cats and Cosby on 77 WABC. With us today is Governor Nikki Haley, and uh, she's been governor uh, for eight years, and she was uh, at the United Nations. And, well, we, we got her sitting here. Nikki what job did you like the best, being governor or being running the world at the United Nations? You know, I've been blessed to serve the state that raised me and defend the country I love so much. They were both different in their own way, um, but the negotiations are very much the same. You know, as governor, you're trying to lift up people. You're trying to get them to see the best in themselves, and we had to balance a budget. We had to make sure that we had education on top. We had to put people to work, and we had to fix things. And at the U.N., it was very much 
much about defending America and making sure countries knew what America was for and what America was against. And so can't pick a favorite there. I was I'm certainly blessed. Well, welcome to the Katz and Cosby show. And Rita, well, well, what do you have to ask on Nikki? You know, uh, Nikki, what are your thoughts in terms of piercing it through, I guess, uh, it looks like a bit of a crowded field there on the GOP side. You're running for the presidential nomination for President of the United States. You certainly have an amazing background. Um, what's the strategy? Of course, it's still early, but the debates are coming up soon. First of all, you know, I think that I'm not a lawyer. I'm an accountant. I think we need an accountant in the White House these days. I will tell you that I was a two-term governor that took a double-digit unemployment state and turned it into an economic powerhouse. I was at the United Nations. I didn't deal with one country. I dealt with 193. This is time for a new generational leader. We've got serious problems. You know, whether you look at our debt and and the spending, whether you look at education and the lack of transparency for parents, whether you look at crime or illegal immigration, or you look at our national security. We've got a lot of things we need to do. And so I'm in New Hampshire, Iowa, and South Carolina constantly. We're touching as many hands as we can. There's no shortcuts. We are answering every question, and we're doing what we need to do the right way. And I think that's the focus. And I think it said it all when you know, in our first six weeks when we had to file our contributions, we had 70,000 donations from all 50 states. 67,000 of them were under $200, and people are ready for something new, and we want to offer that to them. We've got a country to save. When, when we have so many problems going on in our city, our state, our country, our, the world, at 3 o'clock in the morning when you wake up, which one do you worry about the most? I worry about my kids because I look at the fact that we are $31 trillion in debt. We're having to borrow money just to make our interest payments. And as much as it's easy to blame Biden, we got to look at the fact our Republicans did that to us, too. You know, they expanded that $2.2 trillion COVID stimulus bill that expanded welfare, 90 million Americans on Medicaid, 42 million Americans on food stamps. You've got the fact that we're Social Security will go bankrupt in 10 years. Medicare will go bankrupt in five. Look at education in our situation. You know, we've got 70% of eighth graders are not proficient in reading in this country. I mean, it, we're in a world of hurt. Then you look at crime. It's at the highest levels we've seen. You see in New York City, it's out of control, but it's every state. And the illegal immigration situ- situation is a national security crisis. And we've got to deal with that. We see record levels of fentanyl. And number one cause of um, death for adults 18 to 49 is fentanyl. We've got to start getting that under control. And then whoever thought that we'd see a Chinese spy balloon going over America the way we did, it was a national embarrassment. And I think that when I think of my kids, I think about the fact that they deserve better than the country we have today. You're absolutely right. We're being attacked in so many directions economically. We're being attacked culturally. Um, we're constantly under attack. I mean, lately, we when uh, when you came into before you came into the studio, we talked about all of a sudden they're attacking AM radio, uh, and they want AM radio reaches ninety seven percent of the American people in case of emergency, and uh, it's in every car and and. and they want to destroy it. They want they, the Ford just announced that uh, in 2024 they're going to discontinue it in all their cars, not just their electric cars. Well, we have to look at the fact of why are they trying to dumb down America? 
This is a time where if you've got, you know, 70% of eighth graders that aren't proficient in reading, 67% of eighth graders that aren't proficient in, in math, but then you look at adults, adults need to be able to get information. They need to be able to educate themselves so that they can make decisions to protect their families and create their futures. And you see this. I mean, we're seeing it all across media. I mean, they're trying to decide what people need to hear instead of putting out the facts and letting people make decisions for themselves. This is another um, sad example of how that's going to all go away for the name of profits. I, I said that about our, our universities. Our universities should listen to both sides, and that's the purpose of a university. Listen to both sides and let the kids decide. And you've got, it's it, universities, now it's in K through 12. They're not teaching kids how to think, they're telling them what to think. And, you know, you add on top of that, the Chinese infiltration that's coming in with the Chinese money that's in the universities, you've got the woke infiltration that's happening in K through 12, and our kids are in a world of hurt. Rita? You know, you talked about crime, uh, Governor Haley. And, you know, I think about, of course, the case that's making so much headlines, uh, the video. This is of the former Marine who held an aggressive uh, homeless man in a chokehold on that New York City subway. The homeless man died tragically. Uh, That man, though, that Marine has been charged with manslaughter by New York DA Alvin Bragg. And um, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis voiced support for the Marine Daniel Penny. Um, he said, uh, we stand with good Samaritans uh, like Daniel Penny. Let's show this Marine America's got his back. What's your message for the Marine? You know, I'm the wife of a combat veteran and military members, they are trained to defend and protect That's what he was trying to do. He was trying to defend the people that were on there that were being harassed by this person and that was having, you know, challenges. He was trying to protect them. And now he's being prosecuted. Alvin Bragg needs to look at all the murders and the street crime that's happening in New York City and deal with that. Instead, he's going after a serviceman that was trying to do a good deed. I actually don't think we need to just get behind um, Penny. I think we need to tell the governor she needs to pardon him. We need to pardon him because what he was doing was trying to protect other Americans. She went opposite. She encouraged the indictment. She encouraged uh, uh, to to do what Bragg did. And and Bragg, I understand, uh, I hate to go local with you because it's local politics. And, and Bragg was afraid that the grand jury was not going to indict him. So that way, that way he brought him up on charges himself. I mean, what Bragg is doing, he's allowing criminals to run free on the street, and he's going after citizens who are trying to protect themselves and protect people around them. It's the total opposite. And if New York City keeps up like this, they're going to turn into Chicago and see everybody leave and see everybody go to places where they can protect themselves, where they do feel safe. It's an injustice. And I think that she needs to pardon him. She needs to focus on the street crime. Bragg needs to start doing his job and stop political. And I think everybody sees this for what it is. When you were ambassador to the United Nations, you ran the whole world policy-wise. And here we are. The world, a lot of the countries are starting to turn their back on the United States. What would you do? Our friends don't trust us and our enemies don't fear us. You know, what I did at the United Nations, I made sure countries knew what America was for and what America was against. I didn't care if they didn't like me, but I wanted them to respect America. We have lost that. You see that whether you see Saudi Arabia and Brazil starting to do trades with other currencies besides the U.S. dollar. You see that in the fact that India is staying neutral because they don't trust that America will win and they don't trust Russia will lose. We see that in the fact that Russia is invading Ukraine, North Korea is testing 
testing ballistic missiles. Iran's building a bomb. But all of this is when America is distracted, the world is less safe. And America's distracted right now. We've got to bring focus back to America. We've got to go back to a strong and proud America that lets countries know what we expect of them, not reactionary and not chaotically. Rita? You know, I'm also so worried. Of course, you touched on the border, Nikki. And it is really scary when you see the numbers, not just of those that we know have come through, but it looks like maybe a million gotaways under President Biden. And Mayorkas continues to say the border is secure. What do we do? I, I just think about what how concerning that is. We've had people say, um, you know, we are so vulnerable, especially we just had someone the other day from Afghanistan who was on the terror watch list uh, who got apprehended. This is really scary for our national security. Rita, I went to the border and I didn't just pull a Kamala and come back. I went 400 miles down that border. You are not ready for what I saw. When we get up in the morning, we get our coffee, we read the news. When these ranchers get up in the morning, they get their coffee and they see if anyone died trying to cross the fence. They pick up any little kids that were left behind and take them to Border Patrol. When I talked to sheriffs, they said before 7 a.m., they round up illegal immigrants, turn them over to Border Patrol, and Border Patrol documents them and releases them until their court date three or four years from now. And when you ask Border Patrol about their job, they said we're glorified babysitters. What we need to do, I passed one of the toughest illegal immigration laws in the country when I was governor. We did a mandatory E-Verify program. We need to do that nationally. A mandatory E-Verify that requires businesses show that the people they hire are here legally. We need to make sure we fire the 87,000 IRS agents and put 25,000 Border Patrol and ICE agents on the ground. We need to defund sanctuary cities. We need to go back to remain in Mexico because nobody wants to go back to remain in Mexico. Instead of catch and release, we need to do catch and deport. That's how we'll get illegal immigration under control again. Governor Nikki Haley, thank you so much for coming uh, to our studios today, and uh, God bless you. And and um, Rita and I would love to see you again soon, because this conversation has to be carried on. Thank you, and I hope your listeners will go to NikkiHaley.com. God bless. Take care. She is one smart lady, Rita. Yeah, and I like what she said about the Marine. Uh, she said that the governor should pardon the Marine, and she has the Marines back. That was big that stuff. That was big stuff. Yep. And you know what you know what we all stand for? Truth, justice, justice and the American way. way. God bless America. Thank you for tuning in today.